Well, good morning and welcome. So glad you are here. If you are new, thanks for being a part of our service. Well, how many of you have a smartphone? Yeah, most of us probably do. Well, I had a crisis this morning with my, my phone. I have it in my pocket here. It's an iPhone. And uh, I was trying to do something. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. You know, well, I'll just send, you know, anyway. It said, you are out of memory. Now, what that means in code is, you've got to go spend $1,500. Have you seen how much these things cost now? It's ridiculous. Well, I made a, a very important decision, and it may affect some of you, you know, with saying this. I'm, I'm going to be changing my method of communication, and I'm going to go toward this method here. Guys, if it gets, yeah, that's it. So, uh, save those cans, make your own, and we'll be connecting somehow. Well, we live in a world that the Bible says, and personal experience tells us, is at war. There are always wars going on. Right now, of course, it's Ukraine. We really need to be praying f for that situation. It's kind of out on the news now, but it's still really, really a, a bad, bad situation. But when I think of war, for some reason, I think of these guys. You know, these uh, mi uh, medieval kind of soldiers that have the metal mail and all that kind of stuff around them. And I guess it's because I saw a, a Sean Connery movie and he was like, I don't know, Knights of the Round Table or something like that. So my mind just goes to that, these, these kind of soldiers. But you know, uh, battlefields of life aren't limited to the actual war zone, the physical war zone. They're uh, in all of life all areas of life. And I got to thinking about where do we experience some of these life battles? I'm going to list a few here. One is like family. You know, some of you may know some families right now that are undergoing extreme hardship. Husband and wife are each other. Is the marriage going to make it? Kids are against parents. So we have some of these battles we face in the context of a family. Also, the workplace. You may work for a boss who is just... Well, let's just put it mildly, not very nice. It may be a toxic work environment for you. And like every day there seems like there's a battle or new battles going on. Could be government, you know, trying to get some government service and you just keep getting the run around over and over and over again. Could be finances. The month has a go, the month ends before the money. <laughs> like you just always seem to be battling having enough resources to make ends meet. Could be health. If you ever like uh, wanted to get a procedure done and you had to wait, anybody experienced that? Oh, I think we probably all have. It could be our minds. It's not just out there in those kind of obvious kind of battles, but a lot of the battles of life are really going on up here in our minds when we ruminate over something that happened or might happen or we rehearse and we add commentary to the problem and the reality is instead of the problem, the commentary we have added has really become the problem. Now you may add some more to this list, but we have to admit life's not easy. We all face life battles in different arenas. Now I know what I need when I face a battle in life. I need things like encouragement. You know, that, that I can make it through. I need hope that I can. I need strength. I need power. I need, I need wisdom and practical ideas. How do I navigate this new issue that I'm facing now, this new battle of life? 
Well, we're going to look at how to stand strong in the battles of life. In fact, if you, if you read the Apostle Paul's writing to the New Testament, he often uses a military uh, word picture. It comes up a lot in his writings. This is one of his most well-known in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So he's couching this in the fact that we are in this uh, spiritual warfare and we've got to put on this armor. And in the rest of Ephesians, he talks about this a lot. And he talks about these various pieces of armor. Well, in uh, Philippians, he also brings up this whole idea of being in a battle, battle, the battles of life. So here's today's big idea. We can stand strong in life's battles when we make both external and internal choices. And we're going to look at those two choices. And I'm going to give you a little image. If you, when you came in, you may have got a little sermon guide. If you want to follow along, this is what I have on that. So I've got a heart. Hopefully this will be kind of a uh, prick your memory so you can remember some of the things uh, we talk about. And notice I kind of got the green in the background. So I've kind of broken up into two categories, these battles. Now, you could put one in the other, so we don't want to get, you know, too caught up in that. But the green represents kind of the battles of life out there. And the heart represents these battles that kind of happen inside our, our inner world. Kind of these two dimensions, our outer world and our inner world. When we ruminate and commentary and rehearse what's happening. So we're going to build out this diagram this morning, and I'm going to read the scripture. We're going to be in Philippians 4, 1 through 9, but I'm going to read it a little bit differently this morning. It's good to kind of mix up how we engage scripture. So in a moment, if you're comfortable, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then I'm just going to read this scripture. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to imagine you're kind of a fly on the wall. Remember, Paul was writing this from Rome, the city of Rome. He was 1,200 miles away from the city in Philippi, and that's where this church was. He had very wonderful friends there. He loved them very much, but he was far, far away. He had two friends with him, but he was going to send them to Philippi. So in this whole letter, it's a very kind of like a warm, uh, caring uh, tone that goes all the way through. That's kind of the idea. So what I want you to do, imagine you're a fly on the wall, both as you're, as you're in that kind of prison cell as he's writing uh, this letter, and also as it is read when it's delivered to Philippi. Okay? So kind of just, you are there. So if you're comfortable, close your eyes. I'm going to read the scripture here. Therefore... My brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, you can open your eyes now. So hopefully the, that scripture kind of soaked a little more deeply into your soul. Now, got to go back a little review here. Just prior to this passage, Paul stated, if you were here last week, he said, I've not arrived. I'm not perfect. I've got still work to do in my life. There are enemies out there that, are, that oppose you. God will judge them. You'll be vindicated. And one day you will spend eternity in a real place called heaven. Then he pivots on the word therefore. He says in light of all of this uh, amazing truth that uh, holds true about our future. Now let me tell you how to deal with today. Let me tell you how to deal with those challenges and those battles that we have in life. So let's take this apart. Verse 1, he says, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Now, last week I mentioned that Philippi was kind of on the outskirts of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire, but a lot of soldiers retired there. If you worked for 21 years as a soldier, you would retire there. So, Roman soldiers were, were seen a lot, and the image of a Roman soldier would often come to people's minds when they would hear something like this. Like, I've got a picture here of a soldier. So, what Paul wants to do in our minds is kind of, with that context of a Roman soldier out there when the, when the enemy is just pushing against, like a wave of resistance is coming against him from the outside and the inside too, that we need to think of that same idea. We are like this soldier in these battles of life that are going to hit us from the outside as well as from the inside. And I want to show you how to deal with this emotional turmoil that comes when we face these battles of life. Because what often happens, as I said a moment ago, is here's the problem. Here's the battle. It's this big. But because of how we rehearse it and ruminate and add commentary, what is this big has now become this big. And what we have added to it has now become the problem instead of the problem. He wants us to avoid doing that. And there was a situation going on there. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche. And Syntyche, I can't pronounce that name. These are two women. They were fighting. I don't mean fisticuffs. But they were at odds with each other. Now, this wasn't a very large church, mind you. It was not a, not a big church at all. And these two women were strong women because in verse 3, he even uses the word contend, which is the idea of a gladiator. These two women were so strong and so powerful in getting the gospel out that they were like gladiators with the apostle Paul in getting the gospel out. Now, these two women were fighting. They had a very significant conflict. So... Well, I'm going to go back to our little image here, and I'm going to start filling this out. The first outward response we need to make is this. Get along with others. That's what he's telling these two women. Hey, get along with each other. And he was pleading with them to get along, and he gave the key, agree with each other in the Lord. That is because if you really love Jesus with all your heart, you're not going to let disagreements blow up into fights and battles and disintegrate relationships. He's saying bury the hatchet 
extend grace. He's not saying we have to agree with each other all the time. But he says, let your shared passion for Jesus, your shared passion for the gospel, your shared passion for other people go beyond your differences, your trivial differences. And oftentimes when people are in conflict, they're not willing to yield, they're not willing to extend grace. And it's a pride thing, very much a pride thing. So the first thing we're supposed to do is get along with others. The first choice we make in these battles of life. Then he says in verse 3, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, this is another guy, help these women who have contended, there's that word for gladiator, at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now, we don't really know who this guy is, this yoke fellow here. He could have been one of two things. One, he could have been the one designated when this letter was delivered to Philippi. He was the reader. He was a public reader of the letter. He could, it could have been that. But also, at least it was someone who had the spiritual wisdom and maturity to help these two women that were fighting. So you don't just enter into a battle unless you have some spiritual maturity. And, and, and you know, sometimes we just need a third party, don't we? If you're in conflict with somebody else, sometimes you just can't see reality. You need somebody else to step in to give pers perspective. So here's the next choice. We're supposed to get along with others. Also, we're supposed to help others get along. That's what he was saying to this yoke fellow. Hey, go help these two women that are fighting. We are supposed to be peacemakers. Did you know that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the tasks you and I have is to be peacemakers, to help others get along. Not only to model peacemaking, but to risk the challenges of entering into a conflict that other people are having. Not that we're spiritual detectives. They were always looking for something going on in con conflict with other people. But we are to be God's tools to be able to enter into that relationship, even though it's risky sometimes. We're to care enough about the gospel and care enough about those people that we're willing to step in. That's what he's saying to to this guy, fellow yoke fellow. Hey, help these women out. Then he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Here's the next one. We get along with others. We've talked about these battles of life. We help others get along. And then he says to be joyful. I said this several times that joy permeates the book of Philippians. The 16 times he used the word joy. You know what joy is? It is the capacity the Holy Spirit gives us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's the capacity to experience real joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of persecution. And this church in Philippi was experiencing that. So be joyful. Now I'm going to give you this next verse so you can probably figure out what the fourth choice must be. Let your gentleness be evident to all. What do you think the fourth one is? Get along with others, help others get along, be joyful. And what would you think that would be? Be gentle. Yeah, be gentle. He's probably cautioning this leader that he's asked to help these two women work out their differences, to not use a hammer and not be harsh with them when he tries to work with them. It's, this is the idea of yielding your rights. It's when you're in a conflict with somebody else, and maybe you're not going to see eye to eye. It's the willingness to yield your rights and extend grace. Say, I'm wrong to say, you know, this is not big. This is, this is so trivial. This is not worth destroying our relationship to simply extend grace to that person. That's what he's saying here. But he also gives a motive to get along with others, to help others get along, to be joyful, to be gentle. And here's what he says. The Lord is near. So here's the motive. Jesus is coming. He's reminding us that he's coming again and be ready. He's saying that the reason we're supposed to get along and be peacemakers and be joyful and gentle is that we don't want to have any regrets if Jesus were to come right now. And that's a good question for us to ask. You know, 
do I have any undone stuff in my life or with relationships? That if Jesus came right now, I would regret it. I would be, be ashamed. That's what he's saying here. So that's the external world. Get along with others. So say this with me. Get along with others. Help others get along. Be joyful. Be gentle. Why? Because Jesus is coming. Okay, now let's go to the heart, the inner world. And again, some of these could be on either side, but we're not going to make an issue of that. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's think a bit about anxiety. You know, anxiety is like a low-grade emotional headache. You just can't get rid of You ever have one of those headaches that goes on for days? That's what the anxiety is really, is really like. It's like a low-grade emotional headache, that inner emotional and mental state that we get in. It's, it's composed of several components. So maybe a little bit of anger, a little bit of worry, a little bit about regret, uh, a little bit of fear, all those kinds of things. In fact, there's a very interesting word from the uh, Old English that describes anxious. And here it is. Strangled. Isn't that a great picture of anxious? When you're anxious, it just strangles you. It strangles the life out of you. It strangles the joy out of you. It's, it's kind of like, I know DVDs are kind of passe now, but a DVD, put in the DVD player and imagine a scene just getting stuck and it just replaying over and over and over and over again. That's what anxiety is like. It's this scene of this experience we play over and over and over. We never get anywhere. And we can't push the pause button. We just can't do it. Now, some people try to push the balls button by taking, making terrible decisions. They, they, get out, they get out of relationships they shouldn't. They misuse alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, illicit sex, uh, spending, overwork to make that pain go away. But they're just exchanging one kind of pain for another kind of pain. Now, let's assume that you've not, you're struggling, say, with some of these tough emotions, but you've not taken that extreme road. Maybe you have taken the spiritual road. Struggling with this emotion, you know, it doesn't go away. So you have done spiritual disciplines. Like reading God's word and like praying and like serving and like fasting. You've done all these kinds of things and it still didn't go away. That anxiety didn't go away. That fear didn't go away. Whatever you struggled with, it just didn't go away. And then after you practice these things, try these things, you ask yourself, well, what am I missing? Am I doing something wrong? Is God punishing me? What more do I need to do? Is there some hidden sin? I don't know. I've, I have done that. I have, uh, let me just share with you. I've shared with this before, this with you before. My struggle is not fear so much or, or anger. It's, it's, it's anxiety. That's, that's kind of the negative emotion that I struggle with. And I've tried all of these different spiritual disciplines. All of them. And the platitudes to pray more, read your Bible more, and do this more, and do that more, just didn't work for me. Now, let me, let me qualify something. Spiritual disciplines are very important. We should be reading our Bible. We should be praying. We should be serving. We should be fasting. We should be giving. I'm not dismissing those things, but I hopefully you'll stay with me because over the past several years, I've learned a new insight that's really helped me understand what I was doing to try to get rid of this emotion. For me, it was anxiety. What I had done, I'd subtly forgotten how God usually works. See, I believe all truth is God's truth. St. Augustine, one of the church fathers, said that all truth is God's truth. Science about the body and brain, that's, that's God's truth. God, God made it up. 
uh, engineering science. It's like how this building holds up. It's because, you know, the various uh, vectors analysis have been done so it won't collapse and all that engineering stuff. I'm an engineer. Well, I had an engineering degree. I, I forgot it all. But anyway, I know this stuff is going on. Engineers help build this. It may be... Um, Electromagnetism, think about that, the light and sound, how we can have light in here and how my voice is magnified. All that's God's truth. God made it up. He, he, he designed it. Here's what I was doing. I realized as I unsuccessfully dealt with my anxiety, these painful, this painful emotion inside of me, I was expecting God to bypass his created order, his created laws about how the body and the brain worked. I realized that I was often, often asking God to suspend his created laws of nature about these negative emotions. And what do we call it when God suspends his laws of nature? A miracle. I was asking God, essentially, that every time I was doing these spiritual disciplines, I was asking God for a miracle to make all of these go away. Now think about it like this. I, I have no problem accepting the fact that to get from my house, about eight minutes from here, to here, I, to church, it takes about eight minutes to drive. I've got to drive, or I've got to walk, or I've got to ride a, a bicycle. I can pray and pray and pray that God would transport me like a Star Trek transporter. <laughs> oh, God, I, I don't want to drive today. All that traffic on Fanshawe, I don't want to do that. Just transport me. I'm not going to do that. That's dumb. Because I would be asking God to supersede his established laws. I have a problem with him doing that. But let's kind of think a little bit about this. Let's apply it to the emotional side. Uh, I share with you that anxiety was, was my, my issue. So let's say I'm, I'm working out there in the business world. And it's Monday. And I get in my inbox an email from my boss. It's a very short, very terse. said, you must meet me in my office Monday morning, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. And because I struggle with anxiety, what do I do? Oh, no. I start imagining all of these scenarios. This might happen. This might happen. What's my boss going to say? And so instead of like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen at that particular meeting, I begin adding all kinds of commentary. And what happens is when I start this worry, when I put my body in the stress response, you know what happens? This stuff called cortisol starts flowing in your body. Cortisol is a stress hormone. It keeps you from thinking as well. So I'm already at this level, this high level of cortisol after a couple of days because I've been worrying and fretting and developing all these scenarios about what might happen in that meeting. So I'm already up here, but I don't like that because it doesn't feel good. So I pray, God, I'm so anxious. Please, please take this anxiety away. It doesn't go away. Because what I'm doing, I'm asking God to essentially perform a miracle. Now, uh, I, I'm going to read to you what might be in the mind of God. Now, I'm not saying I know the mind of God, but hopefully this will make sense what I'm doing here. So here's a situation. 
There's this meeting coming up. I've already, because of my worrying and my anxiety, how responding to this meeting, I'm already up here. I'm DEFCON 5 or 6 or whatever it is. I'm way up here. My body's filled with cortisol. And I'm so anxious. I've prayed, 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 prayed. Not that you don't pray. We'll see in just a minute. And nothing has happened. So this might be what might be in God's mind. Ah, Charles, I hear your prayer and see your predicament. I think I will suspend my laws about the biology of your body and brain and give you an instant miracle and make you anxiety free. I immediately eliminate all that cortisol that's flowing in your brain. I force your brain's fear center to go offline and I fill your brain's thinking center with positive thoughts about your meeting with your boss. And on top of that, I will force your brain to produce an extra boost of the feel-good chemical dopamine and flood your brain's pleasure center with that chemical so that instead of anxiety, you feel on top of the world. And all of a sudden, poof, I'm on top of the world. I don't feel anxious anymore. That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Because he instantly brought back all of those levels into a, of chemicals in my brain back to the normal level. Can God do that? Of course he can. Does God usually do that? Usually he does not. But you know what? We often expect him to do that. That's what I had done. I expected him to. But most of the time, God does not suspend his, the laws that he created himself. He works through his established natural order. Every answer to prayer does not have to be a miracle. It, it doesn't have to be a miracle. So when I prayed for relief from those emotions, I was not taking into consideration that God may just as well want me to respect his biological laws of nature, just like God often uses wise doctors to help fix our, our physical problems. If you break your arm, you're out playing soccer with your kid and you break your arm, you can pray and pray that God will instantaneously uh, heal that, but probably what are you going to do? You're going to go to ER, they're going to set it, and they're going to cast it. We don't have a problem with that. Same thing holds true with these inner emotions and this, this flow of all these chemicals and hormones in our bodies. So a few years ago, I began a quest to really understand why was it that I was a good Christian, I practiced all these spiritual disciplines, but it didn't take away my anxiety. Well, when we look at how to consider how to stand against the battles of life that Paul talks about here, Paul intuitively understood these things. Long before there ever was anything called neuroscience, we are body, we are soul, we are spirit. That's who we are. So when he tells us not to be anxious that we read about a moment ago, he shows us how to do this. So I'm bring our diagram back again. Externally, we're supposed to get along with others, help others get along, be joyful, and be gentle. Now internally, I'm going to give you an A, B, C. Okay? A, B, See, now he says, well, let me give you this first. Write down the word attention. The first thing we need to do is redirect our attention. Redirect our attention from the problem, from the issue to the problem solver, which is the Lord himself. Let me bring this verse up. He says, but in everything, that everything <laughs> includes these problems and these difficulties and challenges and these difficult emotions we have, by prayer and petition, they're similar, 
with thanksgiving. So what he's saying here is we redirect our attention from the problem, the issue, to the problem solver, the Lord himself. We bring it to him with prayer, by prayer, but we also envelop that with this sense of thanksgiving and gratitude. Did you know that scientists have found out how helpful gratitude is? Here's five things, five or six things. It, a grateful heart brings a greater sense of well-being, helps us savor the good things of life better, helps us be more optimistic, helps us be more likely to help others, helps us have healthier bodies, and helps us feel better about ourselves. Scripture tells us to have this grateful heart. Now, Paul is not suggesting that we ignore this issue because he says next, he says, present your request to God. So you got this thing going on here, this problem, this challenge in life. It's evoking these kind of uh, difficult emotions. We redirect our attention from the issue, from the problem, to the problem solver with prayer couched in a sense of gratefulness. Then, well, let me give you 1 Peter 5, 7. It says the same thing here. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter's writing, he says, you know, we have difficulty in life. We don't stick our head in the sand. We're, we acknowledge the issue. This is the issue. This is difficult, Lord. This is hard. But we redirect our attention from it to the problem solver. Then he says, yeah, let's think about, think about uh, of a river. How does a river become a river? Think about it. A river becomes a river when a little rivulet forms first. And then the rivulet becomes a little stream. And then it becomes a bigger stream. Then it becomes a creek. Then it becomes a river. This is the same way we develop our values and our thoughts. It starts small and it grows and grows just like what happens here. So that A, redirect our attention, is like how you redirect a river. Now he says something else happens when we do this redirecting our attention. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is just as real as the laws of, our, of biology. When we do this, he says that supernaturally he gives us this peace. This peace is a peace that doesn't make sense. It transcends our understanding. Like, wow, I can't believe that I'm actually experiencing this peace. It, uh, it transcends the human way of viewing the world. It's a peace that happens when we regularly redirect from the problem to the problem solver. In fact, he uses the word here, guard, another one of those military things, like a sentry that stands guard over your hearts and minds. And let me say, this is not a one-time thing. You recognize it, you uh, honestly uh, acknowledge this is what's happening. You redirect your attention from the issue to the problem solver. God will bring you peace, but you know what? The natural tendency is to go back. What do you do? You just keep redirecting. You just keep doing that over and over and over again. And this relates to the next one. A is attention. Redirect your attention. B, redirect your brain, you know, to keep the B in there, are your, your thoughts. 
What Paul does next, he talks about our thinking patterns. He gives us a list of the kinds of things we're supposed to think about. And this is not an exhaustive list, but here's what he says. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what are we supposed to do about those things? We're supposed to think about those things. This idea of uh, thinking is a deliberate, prolonged contemplation. It's placing your mind, letting your mind rest on those kinds of things. And the key is intention that I choose. I deliberately choose to focus on kinds of things that would fit in these categories. Now, sometime back, I give you a fancy word. It's a fancy word called metacognition. Metacognition is a word for thinking about your thinking. We'll never be aware of these things unless we stop and we think about what we're thinking about. Our minds just start going and going and we aren't even aware of what we're thinking about. So it's stopping and thinking about what you're thinking about because when we do that, something else happens. I've used this word really before, neuroplasticity. It's the way God made our brain so that we can actually, by our thoughts, we begin to change the pathways in our brain. Now think about it. Let's go back to our river idea again. How do you change the path of that river? Well, you start out the same way the river was formed, right? A little rivulet, start a little rivulet here. That little rivulet grows into a little uh, stream and that stream starts getting wider. That stream becomes a creek and the more water that flows that way, what's gonna happen? You're gonna divert the direction of that river and create a brand new river. That's how our, how our minds work. As we regularly redirect our attention, redirect our brain, our thoughts, what we're going to do, we're going to begin building new pathways of truth and righteousness and joy in God's way of thinking. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of what? Of your mind, of your mind. Now think about it like this. Think of a mountain, okay? Got a big mountain in mind? That mountain has weather around it all the time, doesn't it? Yeah. Psalm 125 says this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. Now, Mount Zion is a word picture to describe God's power and his blessing and his protection. So when we trust the Lord, we're like Mount Zion. Uh, he protects us. He supports us. When we trust the Lord and redirect our thinking and attention, we become like how this mountain responds to weather. How does the mountain respond to the weather? Well, first of all, the, the mountain has weather around it all the time, right? Good weather, weather, bad weather. Storms and hail and lightning and wind. And sometimes a sunny day or a cool breeze. That mountain does not become those, uh, that weather, does it? It does not become that weather. Same things. We're like this. We're like Mount Zion as we trust the Lord and redirect. Our negative thoughts and our emotions are not us. They're simply the weather and the weather passes. So paying attention to what's going on in our minds and our hearts is so crucial. Now Paul didn't even know brain science at this time. But you know what? God gave him insight before neuroscience even was a word. 
Well, here's what can happen. Without paying attention to what is up here, we can become captive to the changing weather patterns of our lives, our emotions, our moods, our thoughts, our experiences, and they can blind us. They can victimize us. They can, we can convince ourselves that that is who I am. I'm just fat. I'm just ugly. I'm stupid. I'll never make it. These thoughts, as we repeat those thoughts, those become us. But the scripture says, no, we're like Mount Zion as we redirect our attention, redirect our thoughts. Then Paul says, he finishes out this passage. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. You know what that means? That's C. C for conduct. What he's saying is, as we redirect our attention from the problem to the problem solver, God himself, and regularly redirect our thoughts, our brain, to wholesome thoughts and just keep doing that, what's going to happen is we're going to develop thought patterns. We're going to develop values in our mind and our heart so that our conduct would honor him. Let's go back to a big idea. We can stand strong in life's battles when we take both external and internal steps. I've given you that heart, given you that diagram. I'm going to put it up here again. So I want you to do it one more time with me. As I put these statements up, repeat them out loud with me, okay? All right. We talk about external world, our internal world, how to stand strong against life's battles, in life's battles. Say it with me. Get along with others. Help others get along. Be joyful. Be gentle. And what were the letters? A, B, C. Oh, forgot this one. Because Jesus is coming. <laughs> we don't want to be, we want to be ready when he comes. And then A, B, C. A stands for tension, redirect your attention from the problem to the problem solver. B stands for brain thoughts, redirect your thoughts from un, uh, ones that aren't wholesome to what he described in Philippians 4, 8, what would fall under that category. And C stands for what? Conduct. You guys got it. Now, if you were to pick one of these that you believe, like, you know, Charles, I really need to give some attention to that. Which one would you pick? Just look at that. Maybe, maybe you got this conflict thing going with somebody. Or maybe you know someone that really needs some encouragement to work through their conflict. Maybe you need a little more of that in your life. Maybe you tend to be harsh, you need to more, be more gentle. Maybe if you looked at where you're placing your attention, maybe it needs to shift from the problem to the problem solver. Maybe you need to give more attention to, you know, I need to stop and pause and really uh, understand what I am thinking about. And then maybe something about your conduct that's not pleasing to God. So pick one of these. Pick one of these and let that be your spiritual project for this next week. Okay? All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the tremendous insight that the Apostle Paul gives us in Philippians. And Lord, we know that uh, Jesus is coming again, and we don't know when. He could come in a second, a minute, a year, a century. We don't know, but you want us to be ready to have short accounts with others. And Lord, as we look through these this morning at the external and internal uh, choices we need to make, 
to deal with life's battles. Pray that all of us will give some thought and consideration to one of these so that we might, by your Spirit, strengthen that part of our lives so that we can be the follower of Jesus that honors you in our relationships, in our thought life, what we do with our resources. And before I close uh, this, uh, this prayer, I just want to invite you, if you've never trusted Christ, if you've never come into a real relationship with him, he says, I will forgive you. I will give you joy you don't understand. I will give you power and strength. And I'll also give you the promise of heaven. If you've never trusted Jesus, right now in your heart, you can simply tell him that you want to become his follower. You can say something like this in your heart. Dear God, I want to become a true follower of Jesus. I admit that I have sinned. I turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. I want to become a true follower of Jesus. And so, Lord, my prayer right now is that that man, woman, grandma, grandpa, student, who'd never come into a relationship with Jesus just now made that most important decision. We pray this in your name. Amen.